Thank you so much, John, for leading us in our service. Thank you, Lynette and the music team for leading us through a string of songs and mainly from the Psalms, singing wonderful praises to God. Book three of the Psalms is not easy to read, not easy to learn from, not easy to preach about, because it's all about lamenting. And today, it gets worse. <laughs> so good morning, everyone, as we do this simulcast. But more importantly, whether it's a lament or rejoicing, it is still God's word to us. And so we're doing this simulcast to end our sermon series before we begin on the Christmas series. So thank you for joining us, AMPC at Adam, AMPC at Bishan, and all tuning in um, on the internet listening to this. And so title of sermon, Steady Love, Unsteady Promises. And should we put a question mark on that? Because when you think about it, our life is full of promises. And so England began the World Cup on a really promising note. 6-2, my goodness. But England always looks promising. And that's where they land up. It looks promising. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina 2-1. My goodness. And each one of them, did you read, were given a Rolls Royce. I told, your, told you to send your children to soccer training. All this studying in school, you'll never get a Rolls Royce. And so... <laughs> And so England looks promising, Saudi Arabia and Asia looks promising, etc. And it goes on. And so we have promising things which are upbeat. Then in our real life, we, with young children especially, might promise them, I'll bring you to the zoo this weekend, I'll bring you to the bird park, which may not be at the bird park very long as it's moved to its new premises. I'll bring you to a theme park, I'll bring you for a holiday. Then all of a sudden, there's a deadline that comes up in the office or you're dead tired, and all of a sudden you have to unwind on your promises, and you unwind your promises, and your children say to you, Daddy really cannot go, why cannot go? And say, oh, we'll go another time, we'll go another time, and then you try to compensate for not keeping your promises with gifts, like McDonald's, or KFC, or whatever else you promise them, an ice cream. And from that point onwards, you may not realise, your reliability and my reliability as a parent goes downhill. It takes a hit. And so we do make promises in life and we do try to keep them, but it's very hard to keep them. Sometimes promises are not just looking promising. Sometimes promises are not just hard to keep. They are just plain unbelievable. So I was just preaching in Australia and while preaching there, um, uh, yeah, seven sermons in three days and it was just packed out and ministries in between. It was, it's all uplifting. It's all uplifting as we minister God's people. And then we had a Q&A late at night, at 9 o'clock, for the youth. So the youth gathered there and could ask whatever question they wanted. And then before it started, these two young uh, sisters in Christ came up and said, thank you for the messages from, from Revelation. They were really struck by the message from Revelation 2. And Revelation 2 is about the church in Smyrna, the city of Smyrna. And there, you know, in the seven letters, there's always commendation, commendation, then condemnation for something that they do wrong as the seven churches, but there's no condemnations for Simona. No condemnation for suffering persecution and not giving up. And so they said that message really struck them. And then after the conference, I was chatting with one or two of the organisers. I was just sharing how encouraged I was but by speaking to different people, how they were carrying on in faith. Said, oh, that, that girl, yeah. Not that lady, but young girl. She was preparing for a wedding and then just a week before her wedding, her fiancé died in a car accident. 
And so instead of attending her wedding, she attended a funeral. Sometimes promises, plans, just are totally unbelievable. And you become all conflicted. Did God give me a relationship only to dash it? Once you can capture that, that life has a significant proportion of promise and fulfillment, then you can understand the laments that are here. And so it began with, with this, God's promises. So a possible outline of Psalm 89 runs along these lines. Okay, Let's see what it comes on. Oh, go backwards. So God's promises from verses 1 to 14. And then the touchstones or the marks of God's promises, especially to Israel and especially to someone in Israel. And then the failure of God's promise, which leads to the conflict and the crisis of faith. In the psalmist, and here is Eton. We don't know very much about him, but we know that he wrote this. And so... Let's trace this storyline. And once the storyline is important for us to understand, it begins this way. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. And with my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne to all generations. So it begins with something we mustn't miss as we gather here as God's people. Then no matter what you're going through, and in all likelihood as the, as the scholars through time try to place this, where, when is this written? What is the occasion? What is the context? In all likelihood, it's after the exile. And so you need to understand the history a little bit. Israel is made up of 12 tribes. The 12 tribes split into two, very sadly, because the sin of the kings, beginning with David and Solomon. And then the northern nation of 10 tribes is called Israel. The southern nation is called Judah. The northern nation fell because of their idolatry. The southern nation is not spared because they are also idolatrous. The southern nation had the capital, Jerusalem. The northern nation fell in 722 BC. Mark that date in your mind. 722 BC. The only two dates I ask you to remember from the Old Testament. 722 BC. And then 597 BC, the southern nation falls. And so in all likelihood, they were suffering the Babylonian captivity. And yet he turns to God's promise and through the captivity, it means you have been depopulated from that city. You have been marched out from the city. That means, has that ever happened to you? You need to watch what happened to Ukraine when Putin started to fire the missiles. When they said goodbye to their fathers and their brothers who stayed back to fight for Ukraine, they said goodbye to their wives and their children, and then we'll see you. See you where? I do not know. Will I see you in Poland? Will I see you in Germany? Will I see you where in Europe? Will I see you again? When you're conquered and deported, what do you do? The last thing that comes to your mind is to sing. But they sing. So he turns, to God's, he turns God's promise into a song. And of God's eternal love. And that eternal love is spoken about as steadfast love. And God's eternal love is expressed and experienced in Israel's life in two ways. 
in God's choice of David and to David an eternal kingdom, an eternal throne and rule. That means it will always be David's offspring, David's line, David's lineage that will sit on the throne and sit on the throne forever. Do you know there are some royal houses around the world? There are not many left that have no male heir. And so it comes to an end. But not so with David. There will always, according to God's promise, be an eternal king that comes from David's line. And that's vitally important for us to realize. So I want to just pause about this call to sing. When do you sing with all your being? I'm not, I don't mean sing superficially. Sing nominally. Sing to fill time. Sing to kill time. But sing and every bit of you is involved. Maybe we will sing the national anthem when you are time of war. Then standing for your flag and standing for your nation means something to you. Then sending your sons and your fathers off to war to die for your freedom means something to you. You never would have sung Majula Singapore if that ever happens with so much belief, with so much emotion, with your whole being until that point. Is that true? It's very true. Or it could be a family song. And sometimes after a funeral, we say, this was my dad's favourite song. My dad's favourite song. My grandpa's favourite song. And every time you sing that song, you remember grandpa and grandma in all their love, in all their generosity, in all their fun, your whole being, it always moves you. That's the kind of singing they are embarked on. It's not superficial, nominal singing. It's not fill the time, fill the gap singing, which leads me to just make a slight detour. How is our singing? You want to answer God? Not answer me. I know the musicians try to rehearse and practice with all their heart. And when you come here, are just this lyrics there and just a kill time before we hear the sermon. And when the sermon is exciting, not exciting, then I'll decide whether I want to listen or not. We do not arrive here as consumers. We arrive here as fellow worshippers. That throughout the week, you and me could have struggled with crisis in our life. You and me could have plunged to the depths of our faith. Some of us are victorious over some things. We gather here, not as consumers. We gather here as worshippers. Amen? So singing of God's promise in a song, and more of that later, becomes important. And what are God's promises? How reliable are God's promises? Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around you. And so God's promises as you read this portion, and we only have time because it's 51, 52 verses that's here, we have only time to, to summarize that God's promises, He's supreme in heaven. There's nothing in heaven that's not been created by God. You believe that? There is nothing in the heavenly beings that's not been created by God. There's nothing on earth that's not been created by God. Amen? God gives life to everything. And so the first four words of the Bible is vitally important to keep. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the psalmist will repeat that again and again. And the heavens will often be used as witnesses to the total reliability of God. That you can bet your life on this God who created all things in heaven and on earth. 
And then the psalm will go on to say that God's, God is mighty, God is mighty, mighty in power. He can control the seas, the chaos of the sea. How many of you have gone out and seen a rough sea? Right? And I don't, miss, I don't mean East Coast Park. That's not rough. I don't mean Sentosa. A rough sea is when you go to Hawaii. A rough sea is when you go, that I've just seen in Western Australia, and the waves could be three meters, could be four meters, could be five meters. I'm just share, and somebody's just sharing, yeah, you know, the beach that you want to go to, right? A Singaporean student went and took some photos. You went on a rock, bang, the wave came, he died. You ever tried controlling the chaos of the seas? Now figuratively or mythologically spoken about as Rahab? Only Yahweh could. And he began their history by telling the waters to part so that Moses and his generation will walk away from hundreds of years of slavery to the freedom of the worship of God. This is Yahweh. This is the name of the God who saved you, O Israel. Do not forget this God. And so in summary of the first 14 verses, it is this. Next slide. God is supreme in heaven, God is supreme on earth, and God's power is supreme. There is nothing that can match God's power, and God is righteous and just. Verse 14 is important for us to realize. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And so God's promises are guaranteed by His nature. If you ask, you made a promise, why should I trust in your promise? And God basically says to us in His Word, the Bible, you can trust in my promises because this is my very character, my very name, my very, my very, my very esteem and honour which is at stake. So my father's generation came from China. Right? And before the British came, they had no contracts. And he ran a business, ran multiple businesses. And when the British came and said, you need now to do contracts, etc., he and his friends said, how we run our businesses, we say we will do it, we will do it. It's my word, it's good enough. So my dad's promises is banked on his character. And that's God. You can trust God's promises banked on his nature. God's attributes leads to his actions, to his achievements, and you can bet your life on him. So, back to the World Cup. Japan, stunning in their victory. Don't you think? Stunning in their victory against Germany. First time ever. But more stunning is what the fans did after the match. After the match, when the stadium clears up, you can see Japanese fans taking out their blue plastic bags and cleaning up the whole stadium. You want me to read the report for you? Yeah, here it goes. Japan fans win praise for stadium cleaning at World Cup 2022. It's in what is becoming an increasingly common sight. Japanese fans stayed behind after their team's win over Germany on Wednesday and helped to clean Khalifaf International Stadium. As soon as the stadium started to empty, Japanese supporters could be seen taking out one light blue disposable rubbish bag, um, taking out light blue disposable rubbish bags and getting to work. And so people think it's so unusual. It's so unusual that people should do this. And the response of one of the fans, Dano. Doesn't know why people are making such a, a big deal out of what a small deal it is for them. When we use the toilet as Japanese, we clean it ourselves. When we leave a room, we make sure it's tidy. That's our custom. We can't leave a place without making it clean. It's part of our education. It's part of everyday learning. It's part of us being Japanese. Amen. 
You know what other people have done? Other teams have done? If they lost, they will trash it out of frustration. If they won, they will trash it out of victory. Either way, they trash it. There is no other country with this kind of culture, this kind of characteristic. They don't just clean up the stadium, they clean up even the dressing room. And in the previous World Cup, I read in this report at Russia, Samurai Blues, the, the fans are called Samurai Blues supporters, have been cleaning up football stadiums for a while. Even defeat could not detract them from this important post-match task. During 2018 World Cup in Russia, Japan lost their round of 16 match against Belgium with an injury time goal. Japanese fans were heartbroken, so they started smashing things around them. No, but that did not detract them from getting out of their disposable bags and going to work. So in football parlance, right, in football parlance, whether victory or defeat, the Japanese are winners. Winners in social manners, winners in other person-centeredness. Amen? If only we were like that. Singapore is a clean country. Do not be fooled. We are a cleaned country. Cleaned by hundreds of thousands of workers. You try one week in the HDB estate without cleaners, you will see how clean we are. You try that in a condominium, you try that in, in the houses that you live in without cleaners, and Singapore will be known as an unclean city. Would that be true? We are far from Japanese culture. So we can bank on this. You can bet your life on God's characteristics. His characteristics are righteousness, justice, and if you do not know, steadfast love. The steady love of God. And this is the resounding thing that pounds home. Verse 1, verse 2, Verse 14, verse 24, verse 28, the steadfast love, the steadfast love, the steadfast love, and the faithfulness of God. If you read this psalm and you miss steadfast love, you are highly unconscious. You haven't read it. You have just read it by routine. You haven't read it. If you ever read God's word and nothing strikes you, read it again. You, you read God's word and nothing strikes you, read it again. Read it until God's word speaks to your heart. You never read God's word and shut it without hearing his voice. The steadfast love of God, verse 1, verse 2, verse 14, verse 24, verse 28. And then we move on to the touchstones of God's promises. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, because as they go to worship God, they sing. They sing on their journey, they sing on the pilgrimage. You ever sung on one of your holidays? In your car? You ever sung? That may not be a bad thing, you know. As you look at the beautiful places that you're going to, I don't know. Half of Hokkaido is filled with Singaporeans already. Sapporo, right? Can you get on a plane because it's all Singaporeans? Might as well sing some songs, lah. Right? Do you, have you ever gone somewhere and sung along the way with thanksgiving to God that He created the trees, the seas, the snow, that God created everything and my heart should be filled with thanksgiving that now after two and a half years I can travel? So God is remembered during a crisis, forgotten after the crisis? No. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face who exalt in the name, in your name, all the day, and in your righteousness, righteousness, and you are the glory of your strength. In your favour our horn is exalted, and our shoe belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. So when you read this portion from verse 15 to 37, it's huge. It carries one main message, and that main message is from verse 17. 
It's all about God's favour. And God's favour is upon... Israel is God's favoured people. Of all the nations, many and mighty, God chose a no one and nobody nation called Israel. Right? And then he chose and favoured a king. And David was the last to be chosen as king. You know why? Because they wanted a king and they chose the biggest man they could find, Saul. Because they think the taller he is, the bigger he is, the more victorious and secure we are. And then... Person after person came up and said, no, this is not the king. The one is the shepherd boy. And God has chosen him not because of his size, but the size of his heart. And that's vitally important for us to realize. And God's truth, God's favorite king, as you saw in the first four verses, David's line will never end. And his rule will be forever. There will always be an heir, and the heir will rule forever. And so when you think of this, God's favor upon a nothing nation, a nobody nation like Israel. It's like you had a cooking competition, right? A cooking competition of the finest chefs around the world, or the finest chefs around Singapore. And it's all Michelin star chefs at this, at this competition. And, you know, God walks around and he stall after stall, counter after counter, bench after bench, kitchen top after kitchen top, the Michelin star. He just passes them over, passes them over, and he goes and goes out of the conference room and just chooses a young teenager who's just learned to fry an egg and names him the winner of this competition. That's God's favour upon that teenager. Instead of choosing the Michelin stars, or you could be walking around, or God is walking around choosing the designer brands, which is the best designer brand from, I don't know, but... Uh, not very good designer brands, Prada or LV, Louis Vuitton, right? however you pronounce it, or Hermes or Hugo Boss. Right? And he doesn't choose any of those things. He chooses a no-brand thing. And he names this, this no-frills, no-name thing as his favourite choice. That's Israel. Favourite, 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 bless, bless, bless. And this is in fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham. That from his line will come blessing for the whole human race. And this was working out in their national history. And if you are favoured, 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 you are blessed, 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 you are undeserving, you should walk around thinking, how the undeserving I am to be chosen by you. How undeserving I am to be honoured by you. How undeserving I am to be privileged, blessed by you. And I just want to ask you in the last week, have you walked around like that? With an overflowing sense of thanksgiving that I don't deserve who I am. I don't deserve what you give me. I don't deserve you, God, my heavenly Father. I don't deserve you, Lord Jesus. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve your spirit living in me. I don't deserve anything. Or do you walk around thinking, I'm entitled to something else. There's something missing in my life. And when that person walks into my life or that possession I'm able to possess, then I'll be complete. If you are thinking you're living with deprivation, increasing sense of deprivation, that God owes you something, there's a missing jigsaw puzzle of your life. Instead of your life is complete, now God has chosen you. Then you need to do some soul searching as we come to the Christmas season and end the year together. Because the experience of a child of God is thanksgiving, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. What, do I, what did I do to deserve this? And so I try to lead my marriage and my family that way. I get on my knees each morning and thank you, God, thank you, God. 
Thank you, God, I walk in and I have 500 people to preach to, 500 people to minister to here at Bishan, another five, 600 at Adam and across the world. They're listening to God's word. What right do I have to this, to enter people's life? And I do not enter apart from God's grace. Amen? I do not enter your life apart from God's word. Fidelity in preaching it and fidelity in living it. And the joy of that. And that's favour. And that's thanksgiving. And then the psalm, there's a turn and a twist. And this is the bit which is hard to cope with. But now, you have cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You're full of wrath against your chosen. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He's become the scorn of his neighbours. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. And so there's a huge difference. And, then, and so that is why he has moved from national lament, from national celebration to national lament. And that national thing is also individual. And what's he lamenting? That God has done a U-turn on his people. And so just a slight listing. And if you look at those verses, you will capture the whole thing. We, the anointed is now the object of your wrath. The covenant, the covenant you made has now been renounced. God's right hand, his might, his favour was upon us. Now God's right hand is against us. So as you go down that list and compare this, as it were, Israel has gone from God's poster boy to God's bad boy. And you couldn't, you couldn't get a greater reversal. So God's promise becomes God's problem. You want to read that last line carefully again? If only, might you say somewhere along in your life, if only, if only what? If only God hadn't made that promise. If only God hadn't made that promise, I wouldn't be so conflicted in my faith. But He made that promise. And the covenant seems like it's been renounced. The promise seems like it's broken. And which means, if only there was no God in our life, what kind of God makes a promise? This is a totally unreliable God. And so, I deliberately skip over some verses to capture the full weight and effect of this. Because for Israel's relationship with God, as she, un as she rewinds it with God, she should have noticed this. Notice what? If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. So we've got to be very careful when sometimes we, out of generosity, say that God loves us with an unconditional love. Because that might cheapen His love and cheapen His grace. The love that God gives His people, the grace that He offers us, is not cheap. It is free, but it is not cheap. Know the difference. Many things that we do here in ERPC is free, but it's not valueless. Almost everything we offer is free, but it's not valueless. Amen? Because we understand the gospel. If you think that God has freely chosen you, 
freely forgiven you and you freely go off to sin, you are not a child of God. You misunderstand free as cheap. And so have you done that last week? Because no matter what sins I do, I'll always be forgiven. There must always be an atonement, a penalty to satisfy God's wrath, to meet His holiness. We do not get forgiven without cause. We do not get reconciled without God, without cause. And so we thank God that our sin does not have the last word, as you see it in the psalm. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love, or false be false to my faithfulness. I told you the repetition. Steadfast love, faithfulness, steadfast love, faithfulness. That's the main theme of Psalm 89 that ends Book 3. I'm crying out to you, O Lord. We are crying out to you, O Lord. And here is the answer of God. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I've sworn by my holiness. God has sworn by His very character. He is the true and the living and the holy God. I will not lie to David. His offspring will endure, notice the word, forever. So three words repeat and dominate in Psalm 89. Steadfast love, faithfulness, and forever. His throne as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. And so always the heavenly beings are witness to the character of God, the total reliability and dependability of God. And so from Israel to new Israel, from old Israel in the Old Testament to new Israel, now gathered in the fulfilled promises of God. How? How should we understand this? What's the difference between covenant and promise and, and faithfulness and steadfast love? Uh, Pastor Chris, all, all the same, right? Covenant, promise, steadfast love, right? It's all the same. It's just a family of words. Yes and no. And maybe that's a way to understand this. And the way to understand this is this. The covenant is visible and tangible. It rests on a promise. And then that rests on the faithfulness of God. And that rests on the steadfast love of God. All you see is the tip of the iceberg. But underneath all that is the rock-solid assurance of God. You can find your own analogies. That what you see in terms of mountain peak, underneath it is a solid base. And so you must never doubt that. And what does that mean? As is now replayed in the history of Israel, this God who said, if you ever turn away from me, I will chastise you and I will discipline you. And there are two exiles. Give me the dates again. 722-597. The north and the south, respectively. And so God may be angry with us and God may chastise us, but He will never withdraw His steadfast love. And of course, we know the steadfast love, every promise of God finds its fulfillment fully in Christ Jesus. And why Christ Jesus? Because He comes from David's line. And for the next four weeks in the Christmas series, we're going to trace that storyline so assuredly for you. So do you get this? That part of this covenant relationship, that God may be angry with us, has every right to be angry with us, when we stray from Him, when we cheapen Him, 
when we run after the idols of our own minds and our own hearts, when we don't confess, we are two timing with Him. We got Yahweh and we got idols in our life. God may chastise us, but He will never withdraw His steadfast love to us, supremely and singularly and thoroughly and completely in Jesus. Which tells us, look nowhere else. Look nowhere else. If that is true, then Psalm 89 and the rest of the Bible sends this gospel message. There is no such thing as the forgotten believer. And there's no such thing as an abandoned gospel mission project. Right now, as a nation, they seem to be like a forgotten nation of Israel. But God tells them, I will never renege on my promises. I will never pull back my love. Once I speak and once I unleash it, it is out there. It's just for you to understand it. And so what does that mean? Because if you go back to that triangle, the iceberg of assurance, all you might see is a broken covenant. You might actually see a broken promise. But underneath that, girding that, is the steadfast love of God. So it's only feelings and misperceptions of it, which means it takes what? It takes maturity to see God's hand, to accept God's purpose, and to trust God's love. Want me to say that slowly for you? It takes spiritual maturity to see God's hand, to trust God's purpose, and to bank your life on God's love. When all the circumstances shout otherwise. And so you have to choose. When you go through a crisis of faith, when you are conflicted and wrestling, you toss and turn on your bed. You have to choose between two paths. You can choose the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is, thus says my circumstances. My circumstances says to me, God is absent, God is ignorant, God doesn't care. God is dead. So the path of least resistance is the Christian life slides downwards to a bottom only for me to give up on faith. Or you choose the other path, is the path of greatest resistance where it's a mountain climb, where you have to climb that mountain before you reach the peak and see the victory of faith in God. But it's tiring, it's slow, and sometimes when you climb, how many of you have climbed heights recently? Right. By that I mean Bukit Timah Hill. <laughs> so the last time we went to preach in Perth, right, and then we went to a small town called Esperance, the, the couple that hosted us says, we'll take you for a walk on this, on this mountain, on this hill, which is known as Ball. We went there, we stood, it's Ball. And so it's just mainly rock all the way up. About a third of the way, half of the way through, Mona said, You go, I feel like dying. <laughs> so I said, You are weak, I'm strong. <laughs> of course not. Right? Say, so If you feel like dying, I better stay. So we all just waited. No, you go, I don't spoil the day. I don't spoil the day. How can we just leave you here just in case? You know, you ever climb up hill, it feels like you're dying. And sometimes in the Christian life, it's like that. But whenever you reach the peak, you are rewarded with seeing things in perspective. 
I've told you again and again of this church member at ARPC. He climbed one of the lower peaks of Mount Everest, the range. And he got to the top and he said, I'm so small. But in your life, in your HDB estate, in your condominium, in your house, you are so big. In Singapore, you are so big. And your problems are so big. When you stand and you place yourself in God's hands, you are so small. Your suffering is so small. The disappointment in your PSLE results is so small. And your child will do well, though they didn't get under 20. You believe that? Silence. My goodness. Just in case it's all about Israel and Judah, right? You're coping with which school to send your son, and you're thinking it's, it's the end. It's ITE. It's not. We have so many people here who thought that it was the end for their children, and they are all prospering in their faith going on because they trusted God through a watershed in their life. So I was preaching in the UK. My pastor invited me, then I arrived at the doorsteps, right? And the, the person standing there welcoming said, the pastor invited you, he's gone on holiday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's all right. And so I got up to preach. So when I arrived to preach, right, um, I bring a few series of sermons, hard copy, just praying, meditating, which one should I? Especially when the, the, the pastor or the conference says, it's a, free, it's a free topic, choose the book, choose the topic. And so I prayed and I got up and I preached. I preached from Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The service ended and person after person said to me, did you know what happened in our church? I said, I, I have no idea. About a third of our congregation passed away over the last year because we are an elderly congregation. And we just had one last week a tragic accident. And that passage, that passage, that passage that you chose, he said, did the pastor tell you? He said, no, he didn't tell me. He's not here. Who planned that? Of course I did. I had supernatural knowledge. Of course I didn't. When the speaker of the church came from Malaysia a few years ago, hit a few passages of suffering. Then after that, the mood of the camp totally changed. Why? Because the mother was there. The son was studying in America. He loved nature. He went for a hike. He was lost. And he was never to be found. They never found him. And the whole church gathered. And that camp was filled with the gravitas, the weight of a lost member, still waiting for the American authorities to find him. He's not been found to this day. When that happens to you, you have to choose whether you take the path of least resistance. Thus says the circumstances. Our God is not righteous. Our God is not just. Our God is not a God of steadfast love. And you spiral down that path and say, He meant this for my life to destroy my faith. God never means to destroy your faith. Or you could choose the path of that mountain climb. And climb. And sometimes it feels like death. The night is so long. The tears are so many. My heart is so weak. Help me, God. I can't see my way out. So how do you see this? How does it end? It ends this way. But how long, O oh Lord? Will you hide forever? Will you hide yourself forever? How long? How long will your wrath burn like fire? 
Remember how short my time is. Do you see the juxtaposition? How long is your wrath? How short is my time? I'm in trouble here. I can't understand your, your deep love and your long time frame. I've got a very short time frame. It's called an hourglass. I've got 50 years. I've got 70 years. I can't understand your, that you're God of Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And how does he go on? So how do you deal with God's failure? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore? Sorry. Where is your steadfast love of old, by which your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Do you not know that everything from our circumstances screams? And so he ends with two calls for God to remember, 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 remember. It's as if God has forgotten. God never forgets. And so how does he end? How does he deal with God's apparent failure in his personal and national life? He does this. In verse 1, remember? He turns God's promise into a song. So I highly want to encourage you that this becomes a spiritual habit for all of us at AOPC, at Adam, at Bishan, everywhere you're listening to, you're a child of God. If you are not, please, the songs that we sing here are songs that encourage us in our faith. And there may be some classics. Some classics, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon... And it goes on, right? And can it be? And can it be? Before the throne of God above, I have a perfect plea. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Here is the King of Kings. Then you can sing that in your downtimes. And so he turns disappointments to prayer. I want to ask you, what kind of sad prayers have you prayed? How sad were those prayers? How long did you pray the sad prayers? And the sad prayers could be, the sorrowful prayers could be, I know, oh God, that you promised never to leave us or forsake us. But I want to say to you honestly, God, I feel forsaken here. I feel very alone here. I feel very abandoned here. I'm sorry, oh God, but you promised not to leave me or forsake me. I feel forsaken. I know, oh God, you said to me that you are God of love. And the last thing I feel now in my life is your love. I can only feel accusations. I can only feel failures. I can only feel disappointments. I can feel nothing, none of your love. When we conduct funerals and it comes to that point, oh God, comfort this family who has just suffered a stillborn child. Comfort this family that has lost a son in a tragic accident, an illness that took his life too prematurely. We have no words. We only have tears. And we struggle to finish the benediction, or at least I do. Oh God, we want to believe you. Help my unbelief. That's a sorrowful prayer. And so two things I encourage you on the steadfast love of God. Turn God's promise to song and turn disappointments to prayer. And then you will see again clearly where can we find such covenant, such a covenant? Where can we find such a promise? Where can we find such faithfulness and steadfast love? Only in Jesus, singularly in Jesus, clearly in Jesus. You see the nations mock? They mock the anointed as he stumbles? That sounds so much like 
They mock the anointed as he stumbles. That sounds so much like Jesus and the cross, don't you think? And he so happens to be a descendant of King David. And so they mock him on the cross and say he, he can't even save himself, let alone save Israel, let alone save the whole world. But he didn't come to save himself. He came to save us. And so we can turn God's promises to a song singularly. As Christmas comes around, can I encourage all of us to not make it to be about turkeys? If you make Christmas to be about turkeys, you are a turkey. If you make Christmas to be Santa, you are, I do not know. Because I can't see you when you hit a spell in your life and you're on the verge of death in ICU, that you call out to Santa, oh, help me, Santa, for I'm about to pass away. At that point of death, there's only one who came back from the dead. His name so happens to be Jesus. Amen? So where can we find this steadfast love? You look to Jesus in the cross. You look to Jesus singularly, clearly, repeatedly, and forever, again and again. And so from 2015 to now, over seven years, we've taken part in Let's Carnival as part of President's Challenge, which is to raise funds for charities in Singapore. You know, COVID-19 hit, and it hit many pockets of Singapore very severely. And this year's theme for the President's Challenge was to look after the lower income who has been badly affected. And so I was there together with Mona to receive Thanksgiving for President's Challenge Appreciation Night. And what ministered to our heart and touched our hearts was the Cerebral Palsy Alliance. The Cerebral Palsy Alliance right, sang a song. You know how hard it is for them to sing? It's almost impossible. Any note they can hit, it's really with all the strength and all the practices and it's six, seven of them, I, I couldn't get the whole photo because there's someone sitting in front of me. And so I, I took a slight video of it and I can send it to you. Just so lifted as each one of them took the mic and sang a verse and sang a verse with their voices often trembling, not always in tune, but always in tune in thanksgiving to God. And what song did they sing? The wind under my wings. And what do people need in life? They really need to know that as we live in life, we need to know that someone stands for us. That someone who stands for us and we are the church that can send a message to our country, send our message to the community in big things like that and smaller things. So now Christmas is coming up. And we call it Christmas Forever. It's really original because it copies Wakanda Forever. It's just in case you're wondering. So please invite your friends not to Wakanda forever. You can come to Christmas forever, then go watch Wakanda forever. And then tally the two things. Saying, There's so much Christian messages in those things, right? And we're going to final talk the marketplace ministries. And why am I listing these things? And then the Boys Brigade charity gift. They are all big and small ways in which you can use your heart and your home to share this glorious message. So we know of God's steadfast love. Let's take this steadfast love and promise in Jesus to the world. From our hearts, pray for that one person, that one family you want to bring to Christ. Pray for your own family that struggle in faith and not be conflicted anymore. That part of the journey is you will go through these downtimes, but you take the path of greatest resistance, not of least resistance, to believe in Him. 
And we have now reached the apex by believing in Jesus. And so we're going to end our time here singing the song, The Lord is my salvation after we celebrate communion. We're going to end our time at Adam singing, There is a higher throne. May we believe that God's promises and love are steady and steady forever. Amen. Just to make announcements before we go, before I close the prayer and then we'll proceed with Holy Communion on the Bishan side, that there will be a briefing for Children's Church parents about the camp that's coming up this weekend and it's fully subscribed. So in Adam Road, it's at the Sanctuary. In Bishan, it is for preschoolers at the basketball court for primary school and for primary schoolers, it is the concourse in the secondary school. Right? That's vitally important for us to realise. Okay? Allow me to pray. Let's stand and pray together. Let's not just merely quieten ourselves before God because we are in a social setting, in a fellowship, in church. Let us always humble ourselves as we come to God, knowing that we can come to Him assuredly because He's a God of steadfast love, a God of faithfulness, a God of promise, a God of covenant, finally and fully fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. So we thank you for the Psalms that we have studied. And we pray that we not just studied you, but you have studied us. That you have examined our hearts and searched our hearts. And step by step, you are drawing us to true faith. And from that true faith in your love, in your faithfulness, in your promises, in your covenant, we come to Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. And we pray that we will look clearly and singularly at Jesus for assurance of salvation now and forevermore. We pray that we will take not just this Christmas season, for Christmas does not come once a year, for Christ is in our hearts and Christmas is every day and every moment where Jesus rightly rules us beautifully, with His love, Lord Jesus, we pray that in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church, we'll go forth and share You with our friends, so that we can take part in Your forever love and praise God our Father forever and ever. In His mighty name, in Your mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen.